Hello and welcome to the Practical Leadership Podcast, where I interview great leaders and try to extract their wisdom and their experience for you to learn from and hopefully avoid making their mistakes. If you want to upgrade your leadership skills in 25 minutes, check out practical-leadership.academy. Caroline Brent, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I feel very flattered. <laughs> well, the, the pleasure's all mine. Can I ask you, Caroline, would you be so kind? Introduce yourself. Yeah, obviously, my name's Caroline Brent, and um, I've known you for quite some time now. It's great fun to be part of this. Uh, I've worked most of my life uh, in people-facing roles, and by that I mean where you're involved in managing lots of different people across many different functions. So things like vocational education I've worked in, I've worked for the trade union movement, I've worked in manufacturing directorship, and I've also worked in other countries, so I've been based abroad. But, I mean, all of these, and, and human resources, but all of these are really about working with either large numbers of people that you are leading or that are part of what you do to make things work. So that's really my history. So getting people to... Well, getting people to do the jobs they need to do. Getting people to do the jobs they need to do, but in most cases, understanding how it is best for people to enjoy the jobs they do. And sometimes you have to make adjustments so that people can perform to their very best. And that means you have to be flexible in what you might ask and how that role might be structured. And I think that bit flexibility is really important. So how and when did you first become a people manager? I think firstly, my first real serious people management job was in the mid-90s when I was a human resources director for a sector in the printing industry which had lots of challenges at the time and lots of changes that uh, were made during that industry. So it was particularly challenging from a human resource point of view but also from a management point of view. And people had to change their attitudes to think differently about how they worked and that meant all of us. So... When you were faced with these challenges, what would you have liked somebody to come up and say, ah, Caroline, right, it's going to be a bit rough, but if you pay attention to these three things. Uh, I think there's really three key things when it comes down to leading people successfully, and some of them might be a little touchy-feely, and, and they're quite difficult to describe, but if you bear with me, I'll try and express what I mean. The first thing is, I guess for most of us, at some point during our career, whether it's at work or at school or during anything else you do outside, like sporting activities, you've probably been led or managed by somebody that's not a very good leader or manager. And what I've always tried to say to people is never forget what it felt like, how that made you feel when you were managed in a way that didn't suit you. Either you felt bullied or you felt unappreciated or you couldn't be innovative or you felt restricted in what you could do. Remember what that, never forget that feeling because what you don't want is to create that feeling in other people. So I would say, please try and remember what that felt like. Don't forget that. The second thing I think is important is try and wear the shoes of other people. So put your feet in those shoes of those people that you're managing and imagine what it might feel like for them. If I was in that person's position, how would I be feeling? How would this make me feel? And I think trying to put the shoes of the other person is very important because it helps you understand 
what people need from you and some of the reactions you might get, especially if they're not those that you're expecting. And, and finally, and I think this is probably be my number one and most important thing, which is as a leader, in my opinion, one of your critical roles is to manage upwards so that you create the space for the people that you're leading to perform. So it's up to you to keep the dogs off to some extent by creating a trusted, professional, good quality, respected environment that allows those people that you're working with to do the best job they can do with as little interference as possible. So your role is really to hold up the ceiling to create the space for great work for the people in your team. I love that, like Atlas holding up the sky. So I think there's definitely a trail of wanton destruction left behind all the different management experiences I've had. There's a big list of people I need to apologize to as I was going through and trying to learn this gig. So Yeah, and I think but you but sometimes you need to find somebody who is going to be honest and truthful to you because I think first of all to be a good leader you must be true to yourself. So if you compromise your what I would call your inner morality and thoughts about how what you feel and what you want to do I think that very clearly comes over to your team and it makes you less authentic uh, and it doesn't give you the opportunity to lead in a very genuine way. And if you think about the demands today from people being genuine and authentic and trustworthy and truthful are really critical. And the minute you start to compromise on that, I think you create difficulties for yourself and you also create uh, great leadership difficulties. And that sometimes means you have to make tough decisions. And, and I can think of two or three critical experiences in my life where things come to a point where you say, if I can't resolve this in the way where I feel truthful to myself, I need to change what I'm doing. I need to change employer or change role. And if you think that, you genuinely have to mean it. Because if you do that, you can't threaten those things. You have to really mean them. But if you want to lead effectively uh, with trust and authenticity, I think being truthful to yourself is very important because then you will get a better performance from your team. I think it's very easy to lie to ourselves, pretend that things are well, pretend, pretend that things are going correctly. And if you're not quite as reflective as you should be, perhaps you'll miss a trick. Yeah, and I think if you're an innovative, creative personal you want to work with innovative and creative people and you want to bring the most from your team they have to have belief in you and they have to believe that you can deliver an environment that allows them to be successful through your leadership and that means that you have to deliver the expectation that they have of you and all of those things mean creating those good quality relationships above and and within your team and that, that space creation and that authenticity i think are important and, and you can allow people very long pieces of rope under those circumstances if they know where they have you and you have them then it's amazing what people do i don't think anybody comes to work thinking i'm going to do a really bad job today People come to it wanting to do a good job. Sometimes you need to help and work with people to understand what that might be. But people don't deliberately attend the workplace thinking, I'm going to come to work today and do a very bad job. And I think if you go from that understanding that people actually want to perform, it's your responsibility as a leader to find the key to that performance. And it might be different. If we go back to your number three, your most important 
of the three uh, points you mentioned there, managing upwards to create this space for your team to perform, keeping the dogs off your back, as you said. How would you go about doing that? What would you recommend people to actually go about doing that? Well, first of all, you have to fit the culture of the business, first of all, and that sometimes works, it sometimes doesn't. You have to recognise that. But I think also you have to deliver what you promise. Well, the way you get trust from senior people, for those more senior than yourself, is to deliver what you promise within the culture of the business in which you are working. So if you deliver things in the way that they see they would like it to have delivered, and you're comfortable with that, You, the more you deliver, the more you, and in fact even over-deliver, the more likelihood there will be that you'll get more trust, that there'll be more freedom for you to perform because you have an experience and you have a history of delivery. So it's about you being a good performer yourself, and by to be a good performer yourself, you need to understand how to get the best from your team, what it is they can deliver, so that you don't overpromise what you can do. You're prepared to fight where you feel you can't do it. Uh, and you need to understand when to make a stand and when not to. So I've always said, you don't have to win every battle, but you need to win the war. So understand those things you really need to make a point of and those things that maybe you can compromise on. And life is full of compromises. But I think you need to understand that you don't have to win every battle because it's important for people to see that you can compromise and you can be flexible because that allows people to understand that you can be talked to, that there is an opportunity for negotiation, that you are prepared to accept change, uh, that you can take on new ideas. So it's about creating that trust at a senior level to continue to deliver so that there's an expectation that whatever you do with your team, there will be a delivery of a good quality output. It's almost a virtuous cycle. Absolutely. Yeah, you, you need to manage up in order for you to create the space for your team to perform. But you also need to be yourself a good performer, helping your team to perform so that you can deliver what you need so in order, in order that you can create yeah, the space. Exactly true. And I think that, you know, the circle has to start somewhere. And to develop reputation, you can start at either end of that. But the critical thing is you are only as good as the performance of the team that you're managing. So, you know, you can't be, a, it's it's very difficult to be a successful leader if you don't have a performing team. And I'll give you a classic example of that. In one of the businesses I worked on, we used to have a performance review system. And you would sometimes find that the manager of the team had a performance of a level which wasn't outstanding, but they would rate all of their team as outstanding. Both of those things cannot be true. So either the manager was outstanding and wasn't recognized, or he was over uh, calling the performance of his own team. But you can't have a situation where there is a disconnect between the delivery that the company is or the business is getting through the leader and the view that he takes or he, she takes of the delivery of the team members. So those things have to match. But if the leader's performance isn't outstanding and that performance is built on the delivery of the team, then all of those team members can't be outstanding in their own sense. So there has to be a bit of truthfulness and understanding and acceptance of differences in those different levels. And there may be jolly good reasons why those things didn't work as you wanted, and it's good to talk about those. But both, you can't create the virtuous circle if all of the things that you do don't support each other in the round. In terms of you know, how to manage up within the cultural context of your business, do the job you promise. Get the trust, get the freedom. 
be the good performer, help your team perform. Don't and if you're not it. going to do the job you promised, so for yeah. example, if you have, if there is an expectation that you're going to deliver something, and you have a feeling that that or that the the team that you're working with, you feel that that might not be achievable. Don't wait too long before you raise the issue and say, so don't let it be a surprise, I think is what I'm saying. Mm. So if you have a commitment to do something and for whatever reason, and it could be external market reasons, it could be some internal issue, it could be uh, people have left the team and it's not, I mean, there could be a myriad of reasons why that doesn't work. Don't wait until the delivery point or just before, before you raise that issue. Give plenty of notice because then you can always make take actions that can put that right. But what people hate is surprises. You're expecting a delivery of something and it doesn't come. It's like, it can be very simple. Say you're expecting a delivery at home. If it doesn't arrive, you're annoyed. If you know two days before, you might still be irritated, but there's you have an expectation. You knew that wasn't coming and you can plan for that. And it's the same in any business you work for. So have the courage to say, I know we said we were going to do this, but it might be different or longer or less or whatever it's going to be because of these reasons and don't make it surprising. I suppose it's the, the organisational equivalent of waiting in for the gas man who doesn't come. That's exactly the case. Mm. It's exactly the case. But I think all of these, it's about don't do management by surprise. Yes. Or don't do leadership by surprise. Bad news first. Exactly. And I think that all of these things go to creating what my sort of set my core point, if you like, which is create the space for people to perform in. And to do that, you have to get trust from the organisation and the people to whom you are delivering. And then your team can perform. Is it an event or a mistake in your career that you perhaps learn most from, Caroline? I think I'm not sure if it's a mistake. But the thing I learned most from was misplaced trust. At one point in my career, I had a manager who made me feel miserable, unappreciated, and going to work was a complete trial every day. And I had no idea how to talk to that person or how to to try and resolve that. And it was it really did make me feel, you know, really quite um oh, um really quite unappreciated. And I took the decision to take somebody as a confidant and discuss that with them and ask for help and assistance with resolving that. And that was a, it turned out to be a very poor choice because what happened immediately was they went straight to my boss and reported that, who then came around the circle and said, and why didn't you speak to me? And it made the situation much worse. So I would say, could I put that right? I don't know. I would say it was a poor piece of judgment to choose that person. It was a lack of understanding of how relationships worked in that organisation. And it actually made my situation worse rather than better. Um, and I think judgment on who to trust, you don't always get it right. But you also always have to have a plan B in case you make a mistake because any issue of trust is a negotiation. Somebody has to say something first. And in that case, I picked the wrong person. And that was a very, that was a darkest moment, I would say, in my working career. It sounds like you certainly learned from it. I absolutely learned from it. Uh, and I think I learned a lot more. It's about trust, but also the way that the manager, my manager behaved and how that made me feel made me determined to never, ever behave in that way to somebody else who had the courage to have that discussion and was then rewarded with a 
I want to say a corporate kicking the pants for doing it. Hmm. And it goes back to your first point. Never forget the exactly. The I think moments. I think, but I also think, but you learn more from that because and what I what I say to you is don't forget how it made you feel and don't make somebody else feel like it. It's always the emotionally strong moments in our lives that we learn most from. They tend to be the negative ones, unfortunately. I think that's true. And I think I actually think that's true, which is disappointing, but disappointingly true. Um, so all I can say is I don't wish everybody to have a bad manager, but sometimes when you're in it, it's a terrible thing. But when you come out the other side of it, the learning you get from that really helps to create the you that's going to be the leader of the future. Can I ask you then, what are you working on at present? What am I working on at present? I'm working on a couple of things. First of all, I'm working on some large data reports. I mean, I'm quite interested in people data and helping company use that. So I'm also working with my son uh, in a business that he's running, trying to improve the well-being and team working uh, in the hospitality industry in the UK. So that's a many and varied agenda. Ah, the wonderful chef partnership. That's the chef partnership. Indeed, it is. If you could go back and talk to young Caroline, what would you say to her? What would you thank your younger Caroline self for doing? I would say I would thank myself for having the courage to stick up for what I really believed in. So uh, there are times when it's quite difficult. And in a lot of my uh, career, I worked in very male-dominated industries, and I was normally the only female manager and, and, and latterly the only senior female manager in those businesses. And I think, not, not to the ridiculous extent, but standing up for what you believe is correct and true and morally right, I would thank myself for having the courage to do that, up to the point where there are mid-moments where it has been really pivotal in whether I stayed with businesses or not. I think having the courage to do that, and I would also say, um, just as a, a recognition to my own partner, having a supportive partner is really important there, because whatever you do, if you take those risks, it has to be a joint decision. So you have to have a partner that understands and is supportive of your need to be true to yourself i like that i think i was reading and thinking through the this interview format fairly recently and i actually thought you know what? i've never actually tried to answer these questions myself so i did and the answer i gave to the what would i thank young paul was exactly making a good choice of partner marrying my wife yeah, I think though I fully agree with you because you know if I just think back to, historically to my parents, I mean I think my my dad was a very highly motivated person, and my mother was a lovely woman but was totally risk averse, so he ended up feeling quite bitter about missed opportunities, and and that is that eats at you. So having a partner that understands and is supportive without being, I'm not saying they need to be a pushover, but they need to be understanding and, and, and really in your space so that whatever you do, you do together, I think is really important. Lastly then, how can people find you, Caroline? Well, they can find me in three different places, actually. You can find me at chefpartnership.com. You can find me at Brent Consultancy. And then finally, you can find me at humdex.com, which is the data analytics business. Thank you very much indeed. Caroline Brent. That's a wrap. Thank you for joining me today. Your homework, subscribe and share this with a friend or colleague. Please leave your five-star review and any comments you have because that really helps me to improve every day and it helps people to discover me online. 
If you want to upgrade your leadership skills in 25 minutes, you should check out practical-leadership.academy.